Well, I'm delighted to be sharing God's word with you today. And as Pastor Brian has said, this has been a tumultuous time for our world. In times like these, it's good to remember what Jesus has called his church to do. He tells us our task is to bring the good news, not bad news. Our job is to bring peace, not so strife. To speak the good news of salvation that Jesus paid for with his life at infinite cost. For before we can represent him in the world, we must each come before the presence of the king. Well, last week we began a new sermon series on 1 Peter called A Fresh Focus for a New Beginning. And as we saw in the opening verses that Shelton masterfully shared with us, 1 Peter is a book about hope. And in the middle of a global pandemic, political controversy, and racial tensions, all the things we don't need to repeat, there are so many reasons to focus on the things that divide us. What better way to begin a new year than on exploring what the Bible says about hope? We can be a people of hope because we belong to a God of hope. And so as we begin this morning, I ask you to pray with me as we begin to explore his word together. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we lift our hearts to you this morning. For indeed, we come in the presence of a holy king. We praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness in all things. You do all things exceedingly well. We thank you that even in times like these, where it's difficult to put our thoughts into words or explain the brokenness we see in the world and feel in our hearts, we know that you are at work in this world and in the lives of those who have ears to hear and open teachable hearts to serve you. So as we open up your word this morning, we pray that you would plant it deep in our hearts. We pray for a fresh understanding of who you are and the work that you've called us to do. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, years ago, long before COVID came and impacted so many parts of our lives, I had one of those Moments when someone mistakes you for someone else. My husband Todd and I decided that we needed to have a garage sale and we'd never done that before. So we chose a Saturday and we began to sort through our things. But what I didn't know is that when you advertise garage sale Saturday morning, 8 a.m., people show up at 630 before the sun comes up. And so on that particular Saturday, Todd and I woke to the sound of people in our front yard. And in fact, when I looked out the window, there was someone picking up a bench that wasn't a part of the sale. So we jumped up, got dressed, rushed outside, began to greet people and put things out. And the morning was going great. We actually got to see neighbors that we hadn't seen in a while. We got to meet new neighbors that we didn't know. And by lunchtime, most of the things were gone. And so it was really an enjoyable morning. But as the morning was winding down, one woman came to buy a kitchen table. And she said, I'd like to buy this, but I don't think I can carry it to my car. And my husband, Todd, was right behind her. And he said, oh, no worry. I'll help you. And the two of them carted it off and loaded her car. 
But in just a few moments, she came back and she handed me a few dollars and she said, your son was so helpful. Could you make sure and give this to him? It was a case of mistaken identity. And it's one I've not really ever lived down. And now after sharing with you, probably never will. But then long after that, uh, I was in a department store. And I'm sure this has happened to some of you. I was in a department store and the clerk held something for me in the back. And so I popped in there and she said, oh, I'll be right back. And while I was waiting, a woman came up to me and said, I'd like to try this on in a size 12. Could you get a dressing room for me? And I looked and I realized she thought I was a clerk and I did what you would do. And I said, well, actually, I think you could use a size 10. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I said, actually, I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't work here. And we both had a great chuckle. A case of mistaken identity. So maybe that's happened to you before. You see someone at a distance and you're so sure you know them and you rush up to see them and tap them on the shoulder and they turn around Only you learn that it's not them and you share an embarrassing moment where you thought you knew who someone was, but it was a case of mistaken identity. Well, perhaps you can already tell where this is leading in our spiritual lives and in our relationship with God. If we have a mistaken identity about who God is, it will make the foundation of our faith flawed And will have serious impact on the way we live out our daily lives. I'm told that if a pilot is off course by one degree, within a few hours, that plane will be off course hundreds of miles. We need precision in our thinking. We need to understand him by the full counsel of his word. So that when we experience things as we are experiencing That we recognize the voice of God and have made space in our hearts and our lives to respond in obedience. Well, this brings us to our passage in the Apostle Peter this morning. And as you remember from last week, he is writing to Christians who have been exiled for their faith under the Emperor Nero. He's writing to people who were banished from their homes and their way of life. And now, having traveled just as far as their resources could take them, they're trying to begin again in a strange new world. And word has reached Peter that these same Christians were now being chastised for their faith and loyalty in Jesus. And so I invite you now, as we begin our reading, our passage, that we'll begin at verse 13 of First Peter chapter 1. This is God's word. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because... I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life 
handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Peter ends saying, and this is the word That was preached to you. Thanks be to God. Well, our passage begins with therefore, which of course Richard has taught us well, means that we go to what the previous verses have shared with us. And it causes us to see that while Peter could have used any number of practical ways to help these precious Christians cope with the circumstances in which they find themselves, he could have said anything. But what does he do? He chose to anchor the identity of these new Christians in the incredible blessings God has given them in Christ. He writes in the very first verses, you were chosen by God. You were brought into the family of God. You were given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this new birth into a living hope qualifies you for an inheritance that will never spoil, perish or fade. That means no thief can steal it, no stock market can erode it, and no fire can destroy it. It is rock solid. And now, not only is your inheritance kept safe in heaven for you, you are being kept safe for your inheritance. Verse 7 says this. These have, well, Peter explains that this inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade is yours for the taking. And now, having anchored them in the truth of their new identity in Christ, Peter shares very practical implications for a Christian's response to God's grace in Christ. He's saying, okay, if you understand what I've just shared with you, then this is how you'll live. And in verse 13, he says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Now, the literal translation here is, gird up the loins of your mind. You think, oh, okay, prepare your mind for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. The reference here is an ancient reference because you may know that men and women of that time wore flowing robes. And these were not always conducive to moving around quickly or to engage in strenuous action. And so the reference by saying, gird up the loins of your mind, was literally a practice where they would pick up the hem of their robe and tuck it into their belt. And this allowed them to move around quickly and to be able to carry things and and think on their feet. And Peter uses this term, prepare your mind for action, metaphorically, to apply to our thought process. He says, prepare yourself, pull up the loose ends of your thinking. 
Don't let distractions be a hindrance to you. Be self-controlled like a coach talking to a team before a big game. Peter tells them to focus. Be on the fronts of your feet and be ready to act. And Peter says the thing they are to hope in, the thing that will hold you up and sustain you in all circumstances, is the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let this love rest at the center of your hearts and minds and inform your faith and hope in God. Now, in essence, here's what he's saying. Whatever you set your mind to, wherever you place your hope, whatever the affections of your heart, this is the governing hope for your life. And if what Jesus has done for you is at the very center of your thinking, it will have powerful implications for the way you live out your faith today, particularly in times of adversity. Author and Presbyterian pastor Tim Keller writes, what you believe about the future dramatically shapes how you live in the present. But if we're honest, we all struggle to live out our relationship with Christ alone. Other things capture our imagination. Other desires enthrall us and they move us away from God. And verse 14 explains the struggle well. Peter says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So how do we become people who live with wholehearted hope in the face of adversity? Well, the next few verses, Peter reveals both the standard and the pattern for how God intends his church to live out his grace in this world. He writes in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So let's spend just a few moments thinking about what this means. You might be quite comfortable with the understanding that God is holy. Our opening hymn was all about his holiness, his eternal nature and divine perfection. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. God is infinitely above all earthly power and wisdom. There is no one like him, which is why he alone is worthy of our praise. And so we're quite comfortable with this notion of God and his holiness. But... We're not quite sure what to do when Peter's command for us to be holy. It's helpful to realize that whenever holiness is used in scripture, it means to be set apart, to be fully devoted to God. And the Bible references a number of things other than God that are holy. The Sabbath is one. Our tithe is another. These are all described as sacred, set apart and fully devoted to God. And the reference Peter specifically uses comes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, where God is calling a people unto himself. And through his law and through his presence, he is shaping them to be distinctive in the way that they live. God calls each of us when he says, be holy, to be people who live distinctively. 
In those days, it was not just about what was done in the temple. It was about what they did in the market. God's holiness knows no boundaries. His holiness defines our relationships, our friendships, our work, our marriages, our politics, our finances. Holiness is as much about what you do on a Monday afternoon as it is about what you do on a Sunday morning in the sanctuary. Holiness is as much about the kind of neighbor you and I are as it is about the kind of church member we are. And as God details his plan for distinctive living for the people of Israel in Leviticus, Peter illustrates God's plan for how the church is to be distinctive in every area of her life as we live out our lives exceedingly more like exiles. And Peter says, when people's God live both by his standard and his pattern, we bear the family resemblance. Now, I've shared this with some of you before, but I grew up in a southern home and my mother monogrammed everything. It's like she thought I was going to forget my name. And so you as a Christian in this new birth with a living hope, you've been given a new monogram. And that monogram is PCOG. Precious child of God. When you live in both his standard and pattern of holiness, people recognize that. And while none of us can live holy perfectly, God calls us to be a people who live distinctive lives set apart for a purpose to bear witness to the reign and rule of God. And so the question is, how do we become a people who are anchored in the one thing that can sustain us through life? In this passage, 1 Peter challenges Christians to reexamine our acceptance of society's norms and be willing to suffer the alienation of being a visiting foreigner and our own culture, wherever its values conflict with those of Christ. Having described Christians as strangers and exiles in verse 1, Peter says, You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ. And the sprinkling of his blood. And this reference takes us back to Mount Sinai. When God tells Pharaoh to free Israel. And the God, the father of Israel, has chosen this nation to represent him for all the nations. And that they would know him and worship him. And God brings them to Mount Sinai to give them the covenant and the Ten Commandments. And there he calls them a holy nation. The word holy means sanctified and set apart to be distinctive. God's call upon his people is to live under this reign and rule and to make the God of Israel known to all the nations. Now, all of these elements are present in our passage. We are chosen from the world by the father. We are sanctified for the sake of the world by the spirit and called into missional obedience by the sprinkling of Christ's blood. Peter identifies the church as the new Israel. The Israelites at Mount Sinai were strangers going to a homeland or an inheritance that they'd never seen. But they were kept en route by the pillars of cloud and fire. And in the same way, Christians are strangers going to a homeland or an inheritance we've never seen. And we are kept en route by the Holy Spirit of a holy God. And like Israel, we are chosen to be distinctive through obedience to God so that the world can see that God is good. Now, 
when God calls us to be holy, he does not mean to be holier than thou or to use our sacred status as a ploy to control or manipulate others or to use this as an excuse as not to engage with the world. Quite the opposite is true. In verse 22, Peter says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for one another, love each other deeply from the heart. You see, his holiness sets us apart to love others deeply from the heart. And as we put our hope fully on all that Christ has achieved for us, we live with reverent fear. And that is to live in awe of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing in our lives. And this spills over into a deep love for one another. As you allow the truth of your identity in Christ to shape and inform how you live, your lives begin to take on his holiness. You bear the family resemblance and others take notice. The call to be holy leads us to live distinctive lives that point others to Jesus. You see, the gospel has always been about a community of people who live authentically with Jesus, becoming more like him as they love others, as Christ calls us and sends us. He calls you and he sends you. We love to take this passage personally. It's our Western individualism at play. We've been trained for a long time to think like that. But this scripture is about God calling a community of people to live a life they couldn't live because Jesus lived it. Because he died the death that we should have died. And out of that to have such praise and adoration for the grace that will be revealed at his coming. Finally, having prepared their minds for action, what does Peter say will sustain these Christians? Verse 22, 23 through 25 says, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Having prepared their minds for action reminding them of both God's standard and pattern for how his church is to live out their faith in the world. Peter encourages these scattered Christians to focus the affections of their heart on the one thing that stands the test of time, the enduring word. In his final contrast, he says everything else can be stripped away, but the word endures forever. In fact, you could say this entire chapter has been a way to help Christians and to all of us, those in exile and those of us living today, to begin our lives with the end in mind. He reminds us that the best way to foster hope is with a solid relationship with the Holy King through his word. And he appoints them to the things that will never fail them. As you and I grow in his holiness and mature in the Christian life, our lives become more and more centered on the things that stand the test of time. And over time, our affections grow stronger on only the things that last forever. 
Throughout First Peter, Peter draws a contrast before, between the things that will last and the things that will fade. In verse 3, he talks about the new birth into a living hope. In other words, in Christ we escape death. In verse 4, he shares our inheritance will never spoil, fade, or perish. In other words, it's incorruptible, whereas every bit of our material belongings has an expiration date. He says that we may suffer and our sufferings are producing, are testing our faith, but that our faith is like gold. But our faith, unlike gold, lasts forever. You see, he's drawing out the contrast. We once were ignorant before not knowing what pleased God before Christ, but not anymore. You once were redeemed, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of a spotless lamb. You were born again, not of perishable seeds, but of imperishable, the living and enduring word. And so, beloved, the one and only hope that we have that will hold us up in every circumstance is the grace to be given you and me when Jesus Christ appears. And living with this truth brings inexpressible joy in life in a kingdom. The day will come when we will be with Christ and we will see him face to face when the new creation he has brought will burst onto the scenes with living color and with great vibrancy. And it will last forever. The Apostle John says that we will be like him when we see him because we will be transformed by his presence. And it's the gift and the vision of that the Apostle Peter sets before the church This grace, this hope must govern our life. We began this morning talking about the dangers with living a misplaced identity. And as we think about the Apostle Peter and we think about proud, pretentious, sometimes impetuous Peter. But as he walked with Christ, we could begin to see the transformative love of Jesus transform him. And one day Jesus was walking with his disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we thank you for the incredible riches in your word and for this message to stand firm in the face of adversity. We thank you for every spiritual blessing you have given us in Christ. Enable us to live holy lives that bear the grace in reverent fear. May we carry the family resemblance as you are the standard and pattern. And may we bear witness to your reign and rule that will never expire. Enable us to live with wholehearted hope in the face of adversity and to love others well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.